and welcome to Interval, the Norwich Theatre Royal podcast. With a new episode releasing each month, this show will bring you exclusive news, views, interviews and behind-the-scenes content. We will have the latest information for shows and events at Norwich Theatre Royal, Norwich Playhouse and our Learning and Participation Centre, Stage 2. If you're interested in the performing arts in Norfolk, then this is the podcast for you. In this month's episode, Jodie Prenger is back at the Theatre Royal in the National Theatre's reworking of A Taste of Honey. We're joined by podcasting veterans, The Football Ramble. Marcus and Luke give us their thoughts about Norwich City Football Club and the transition from podcast to the stage. Plus, we take a closer look at the next edition of Creative Matters, Finding Refuge and Sanctuary. The UK tour of the National Theatre's play A Taste of Honey opened in Salford at the Lowry last Friday and makes its way to Norwich for a week's run this November. We caught up with actor Jodie Prenger at rehearsals for the iconic 1950s northern kitchen sink drama, which inspired soaps such as Coronation Street. Written by a very young 19-year-old Sheila Delaney, Jodie told us just how groundbreaking the play was at the time. Plus, she also reveals how, as a northerner herself brought up in Blackpool, she is finding much that rings true with her own experiences. Hello Jodie. Hello. Uh, you're playing Helen in the National yes. Theatre's A Taste of Honey. Yes. Um, and you're about to go on a UK tour. Opening in two weeks in Salford. No pressure yet. Yeah we are. It's crazy when you say that isn't it? You're like yep, yeah, yep, yeah, yeah we are. Yeah we are. Yeah. You arrive in Norwich in November. Um, so can you tell us I should have learned my lines by then. Well, I should so. I, Me too. <laughs> me too. <laughs> Can you just tell us a little bit about the play? The play is about uh, working class Salford, um, originally set in the 50s, but this uh, particular production obviously nods towards that era, but there's been a rather large emphasis on kind of incorporating it into our everyday lives. So it feels quite relevant, which includes the subjects which are about a, uh, a mother and daughter relationship in the play itself, a mixed race relationship. And there was, at the time, there's a kind of a, a gay man who's in the show, which of then was the un, unheard thing of, which is, well, frightful. But the, um, yeah, it's kind of about all these genuine kind of relationships set in working-class Salford in Manchester. And what, what drew you to it? Funny enough, there was a lovely, a lovely boy called Bobby Delaney, uh, no relation, I'm sure he was sometimes, who uh, gave me the play and I read it and it was one of those plays that I couldn't, I couldn't put down. I was just reading it, oh, what's she going to say now? Oh, what she, oh, she didn't, oh, I love it. And it just kept me, it totally engaged me. So that's, and I just fell in love with it. And it must be about six, seven years ago. I, I do believe actually at the minute it's on some school curriculums, which is brilliant. But for me, it was, yeah, about six, seven years ago. And, I, and I'm pretty sure I'd seen the film before, but I can't really figure out where, which came first. It's like the chicken or the egg, isn't it? I can't remember, but I did definitely read it for, well, one of us. You're, you're into rehearsals now, so yes. what's the experience been like for you so far? It's, it's, it's great. The, I was just talking before and said, like, the 
with with the national productions, with national, I should, I should say, with the national productions, they have such a kind of immense creativity running through the entire show. So there's been there's never a minute we kind of we lose. We're always creating, always in imagining, and there's a beautiful flow with the production probably more so than I've worked on anything before. So now I'm really, really enjoying being part of a room that, you know, has that energy and that buzz and that thrill about it. And, and I'm sure that'll resonate across with the production itself. It's a hugely iconic play, isn't it? And it, it influenced yeah. um, many things that came later, yep. um, not least TV soaps like Coronation, Coronation Street. Street, didn't it? We were saying that. It must have been. It must have been one of the biggest influences for Coronation Street. It had to have been. Salford, working class, and and like with Morrissey and the Beatles, they all have Sheila Delaney revered as this magnificent playwright, which she was. So I'm sure it's influenced far more things just than Corrie, but she was a she was a brilliant influencer for women. She was oh she was 19, you know, she was this girl, a working class girl and unknown entity of her era and she came through with this play that just broke the mould and led the way for so many other women in the in the industry. The central characters are female, aren't they? It's, yes. it's a mother-daughter relationship. It's a mother-daughter relationship and the, ma- the men in the show were an afterthought. <laughs> just, I love that. I love that. But I think it's, I think that is, it's lovely to see that on stage and especially the girl who plays my daughter, Gemma Dobson. We have brilliant chemistry so it's lovely to play opposite somebody who we can really get into the script but also make it you know make it come alive on stage your character helen she's smart sassy glamorous drinks a lot not un- oh i was gonna say not unlike yourself but i can't say that okay i keep playing these characters that drinks that you know these strong northern women that drink a lot i don't know what they're trying to say are there things you emphasise with in the way she behaves? And I just I mentioned uh, I mentioned before the there is a kind of a almost like a rhythm with Salford Manchester, and I I get that with my nan, and I get that kind of a lot coming from the north. I was uh, I was very honoured to be invited to the Manchester Pride Awards, and there was one prime example for this, and this guy was like this guy had been attacked with a machete. And he said, oh, you know, I'm all right. I just wanted to make sure that I could still play golf. And it's that thing of that resilience. And I think she, Helen fights it with humour and, and zest. And she can be having the worst day, but she'll find some sort of humour in it and kind of strive to go forward. And I think that's what they have to do then. And sometimes that's what we have to do now, really. We do. Because the the characters in the storyline they're living in quite a bleak world, really, aren't they? Yeah, it was. But, it, sorry, it was it was set round. So the reason for the kind of it was so bleak. I mean, they were known as some of the worst slums in the entire of the UK, and it was the Salford docks because they lost so they lost so much business uh, to abroad, um, and they just they lived in slums, and it was and they they kind of they knocked quite a bit down, and it was. When it was written, they were still kind of regenerating a lot of the pockets of Salford. So, it, but it was, 
it was a terrible slum and how they had to they had to make doing that makes me wonder I wonder if that's why my nan my nan and my granddad moved to Blackpool I often wonder that so yeah so you mentioned Blackpool uh, you're a northern girl yes you? I am so, I am um, so I guess you're not having too many difficulties with the accent oh yeah no that's fine yeah <laughs> that's fine it's but it's actually it's really lovely to play it's actually lovely to play something that's so close to my accent because it's either for me Shirley was Liverpool and Abigail's party, you know, she was from, you know, East End and stuff like that. So I quite like playing in Northerner. Quite nice. And you've mentioned your nan a couple of times, so are you sort of channeling her a little bit? Oh, totally. She, it's, it's that kind of... My nan's... Even there was one some, there was one of the lines, well, don't look at it, but that just the sort of... It, that was my nan talking. That's how she said, well, clean it up, then. What are you doing? Put that back, leave it. And things like, I'll knock the living daylights out of it. That's all the things my nan says, and it's... It's bizarre, actually, I've had to watch myself on the script because I start to say things like my name and add bits in. I'm like, sorry, Sheila, sorry. But, yeah, it's, it's really interesting to do something that is so close. And I suppose it makes it far more real. You know, it, make, it does make it genuine. There's also an element of music in this. Yeah, uh, It's not a yes. straightforward play. You have uh, um, some musicians on stage. Yeah, yeah. that's going to be really what, good. What sort of music is it? So, right, so it's like, it's almost you can be in a, in a, a jazz bar of today, but there's elements of, that. some of the music is quite, is taken from decades ago and brought into kind of, it could, you could be listening to it in 1950s or you could be listening to it at the jazz bar on the corner. Uh, there's one particular song that Jerome sings uh, that was um, an original composition by Ben, ben Burrell, the, the composer, and taken from a poem. So there's lots of little bits of music throughout the, throughout the show. There was one in the original play, which Helen sang a bit, but it's just been, it's just been broadened, shall we say. And you are you're a musical theatre. Yes, girl, yeah. You, you have yeah. done a lot of musicals, yes. but it, it seems like the music for this is quite different. It's oh, yes, more it's, jazzy, bluesy. It's kind of jazz and blues. It's like, mm. I, I say Amy Winehouse, but it's not Amy Winehouse. It's 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 kind of it's gritty. It's beautiful. It's kind of fun. It's just I, I just think it just really adds to the production itself with what Bijan, the director, has in mind. Yeah. Right. Now, we've seen you in Norwich I know. quite recently, and Shirley Valentine and then yes. Catherine. Can't get rid of me, can you? <laughs> you're looking forward to coming back to Oh, this yeah, no. I, yeah, I really am. And we've always had... This is no pressure on the audiences. They've always been really lovely. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to coming back. When you were with us in Shirley Valentine, yeah. you cooked... Chip and eggs. Chips and eggs on, on stage every night. You used eggs from your own... My own chicken. Yeah. Oh, I've got, I've got loads more now as well. I've just rescued another ten ex-battery chickens. So if you want, I can bring some eggs with, you, with me. That would be <laughs> yeah, lovely. Thank you. What, what do you do with your menagerie of animals then when you're away touring? I've got me fellow well trained. <laughs> it's so funny. Sometimes I phone home. And instead of going, how are you? Have you had a good day? I was like, have you fed the dogs? Are the cats okay? Have you done the chickens? What about the parrot? Are the cows all right? Have they got enough water? And then I get to him. So that's the order I live my life. So it sounds like you've got everything there for a nice meal, like milk, 
Eggs. No, surprisingly, I didn't realise that milk you have to keep. I didn't know this, and I hold my hands up. You have to keep them in calf. So no, they just they just have the life of luxury. The cows. I mean, they're used for nothing. They are useless, but they are the best, the best well looked after cows on this planet. I swear. The farmers laugh at me because I had a bit of um, a solar panel put in for a radio for them. <laughs> why not? So, and just to finish up, um, can you sort of say why you think audiences are going to love a taste of honey, and why should they should come and see it? I, I just think it's a, it is it is a rare opportunity that you do get to watch the National Theatre's productions, um, like the shows itself. I think it would be a great shame to miss out on something because sometimes people don't always have the accessibility to get into the West End. Uh, but shows like this only come round once a lifetime and Sheila Delaney created something that was so special. I just hope they find a bit of time to come and um, capture the magic. God, that is so, <laughs> sounds so sickly, but it's true. It's a, a beautiful, beautiful piece of theatre. Well, we look forward to seeing you back in Norwich. Thank you. Surprise you're having me back. <laughs> a Taste of Honey runs from Tuesday the 12th to Saturday the 16th of November. The football season is back underway. Who better to guide us through it than the football ramble? Marcus Speller and Luke Moore told us about the history of their legendary podcast, the transition into live shows across the country, and they gave us their verdict on Norwich City's start to life in the Premier League. Okay, so first of all, can you tell us a little bit about the Football Ramble, um, where it started and, and what it's become now? Certainly, Max, yeah. We started all the way back in 2007, um, just after David Nugent scored his one and only goal for England. And, and, and you know, what, what an event that was. So we thought we should mark it somehow. So we started doing a podcast called the Football Ramble. And at the time, there wasn't many podcasts about. You often actually explain to people what a podcast was. Uh, and so, yeah, started all the way back then, over, over 12 years ago now. And, and we've grown and grown. And now we are, uh, you know, pretty much a, a daily uh, a podcast. I mean, Football Ramble Daily is now here from Monday to Saturday. We, we, do, uh, we do shows on the Football Ramble Network. And the, it's, it, it, it's, been a, it's been a wonderful ride. I mean, Football Ramble, when we, when we first started, we, 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 we found that there was, um, at one end of the spectrum, there was a lot of uh, uh, media outlets doing sort of quite serious uh, football chats and uh, covering the game like that, which is, of course, um, great and has its place. And at the other end, there was a bit more of the kind of laddie kind of approach, which is, again, great, has its place. But there wasn't too much in the middle. And I think that's, I think that's what we try and do, op uh, operate in that middle ground. You know, people, people, when they talk about football, if they sat around in the pub with their mates, they, they talk about the game and they, they despair, they talk about their hopes, they celebrate it, they talk about the ridiculous, and they have a laugh with it. And I think that's where we like to sit in the football ramble. And, and, and so that's what we are. And we do a lot of live shows. We've got some, some live shows coming up. And I, and I love the live shows. They are played more for laughs, really. You have the audience right there. And there's less insight and, and, and a little bit more messing around, shall I say, and a little bit more uh, of, a, of, a, of a jokey approach, I suppose. So... That's the football ramble, really, in, 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 in a nutshell. So let's talk about these six shows a week. I mean, that you know, it's incredible effort, really. I mean, we're once a month, so and we're, we're struggling with that <laughs> in terms of editing and stuff. So you must have you know, a real team going, and, and it's amazing that the fans are loving it too. No, I, I actually do it all myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a big team effort. Um, 
it's we've got a great you know got a great array and lineup of, of presenters and producers and we have people to help us edit and it's a professional operation really these days so um it's good to give people a, a podcast about football of a perhaps slightly different flavor on each day and there's something in there for everyone so um it's been a big undertaking but um we're about a month in now and we're pretty happy with, with the results and it's something we can we can be proud of i think the idea is that if you like football and you want to listen to a podcast Ideally, you wouldn't need to go anywhere else other than to Football Ramble Daily because there's something there every day for you. And so now you're doing um, live shows as well. First of all, you know what inspired you to do that? I thought I think we just really wanted to, um, Max. I think that's what it was. We we had a desire to do it, and we put the feelers out, and it was quite clear that that there was um, a market for people to to come and see us. We did our first one in in East London ahead of the 2014 World Cup. And we had a flipping lovely old time, quite frankly. And everyone in the audience seemed to. Uh, for those who didn't, they kept quiet, which is uh, kind of them. <laughs> yeah, appreciated. Well, very much appreciated, yeah. But we, we, we just thoroughly enjoyed it. I think it was there was a great, as I say, almost sort of celebratory atmosphere there um, in the room for, for the love of the game. And I think that's what it is. So many people love football. And, you know, we're an entertainment show that happens to be about football without sounding sort of too cheesy. And and people like that. And I think people people enjoy coming along and, and, and hearing a bit of football chat. And as I say, we play it for laughs and, and talk a bit of nonsense. And one thing that was, was really good, because we're, we're based in London, we live in London, we did, we did a few shows in London which went well. And then we thought, well, why on earth do, do, do we not to treat the rest of the country to our to ourselves? Um, <laughs> and uh, unfortunately, a, a, a number of people agreed. So we so we went and took the show on the road, as it were, or as it is uh, in October, and 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 people came along, and it was just great. And and what's great is meeting people as well, you know, in the bar afterwards and all that kind of stuff, and just exploring everybody's love of the game and how football connects so many people but even if you don't particularly like football then come along because we do talk about how much we dislike certain parts of it but again hopefully in a humorous way and we do kind of point the finger and have a little bit of a ridicule at it as well and i think it's important to stress that it's not just four guys with microphones sat behind a mm. desk there's lots going on it's kind of a more entertainment night out type feel um rather than just you know what some some podcasts do they just sit around and do a live recording of their podcast. Yeah, that's not that's a lot more than that. This like is a show. show. Yes, yeah, shows, games, there's videos, there's all sorts going on. So it's definitely worth checking out. And it's on Halloween as well. So maybe there's a spooky treat support <laughs> up, up our sleeves. There's going to be a lot going on, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. there's five pumpkins at the audience. No, we're not really. And I just wanted to ask as well, obviously because, you know, I'm guessing, you know, when you first started, as you say, David Nugent era, you know, it's, Potentially, it had quite humble beginnings, and you look at it now, and obviously, you're going to theatres all across the country. I mean, you know, how's that? How is that for you guys? I've never heard. I didn't know David Nugent had his own era. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that would be, be a huge bonus for him. It was but, a long um, era. What was the question again? I was just focused on the David Nugent thing. <laughs> you know, you're going to theatres up and down the country, and obviously, it maybe started out in you know kitchens and, and things like that. So, you know, what what is that like for you? It's great, as, as Marcus has alluded to it, to, to get out there and, and, and obviously we're sometimes in a bit of a London bubble because we spend all our time here, but we very much enjoy visiting all these places. I mean, we're going to Liverpool, Brighton, Bournemouth, Northampton, Sheffield, Leeds, and of course the beautiful uh, Premier League 
city of Norwich. Absolutely. Um, and so it's very exciting. It's good to get out there and do something a bit different. Everyone's, you know, everyone's different wherever you go, and, 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 and we're, we're tremendously excited to take the show there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Max, we, we started, as you say, in the David Nugent era. Our first, <laughs> our first Football Ramble shows went up on our MySpace page. That's how long ago it was. And it was 1974. 1974. And, uh, and, and now we're, we're soon to be playing the Theatre Royale. Yeah. And so I'm pretty sure that when we do write our autobiography, which we will, um, it will be, be titled From My Space to the Theatre Royal. Yeah. Which I think that's Royale. At the moment. <laughs> like it was a burger. <laughs> so let's talk about Norwich. That leads us on nicely. So football is thriving here at the moment. You're coming at a good time. Um, there's going to be, I imagine, the majority of the audience are going to be Norwich City fans. So what do you make of where the club is at at the moment? Well, they're better than Ipswich. <laughs> I think we could all agree on that. For a decade. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Very much so, yeah. Um, I think Norwich are having a lovely old time, aren't they? I think it's, it's great to see that the whole city, as you say, is, um, has been sort of galvanised or, or whatever word you want to use. I mean, you, you don't need to go there to kind of pick up that vibe just from television. Uh, to see the scenes and the atmosphere there. I think Norwich are one of those those clubs who, when they're not in the Premier League, they feel like they should be in the Premier League. And I think there would probably be um, other fans up and down the country who would probably think of Norwich as more of a Premier League side, certainly. So it's good to see them back in there and also to represent that side of the country as well, um, to be in the top flight. But the way they've taken to it, I mean, Timo Puki is the obvious one, isn't it? It's such an interesting journey that he's had it just seems an unlikely kind of guy what is he in his late 20s to suddenly develop into this Premier League goal scoring striker so that in itself is a phenomenal story I think I think also um, people do underestimate exactly what it means to a city to have a Premier League team in it I mean I support Portsmouth and they were in the top flight for a, a wee while especially and, a one club city yeah exactly and, and, and it really it almost transformed the entire place I mean for a number of different reasons so it's great to see Norris up there. It's great to see them also sort of going for it a bit as well. Mm. I know that I know they've only had a one win so far this season, but it's early days yet, mm. and um, there, there definitely were a lot of fans playing the football they're playing under Farker because he's a very exciting coach as well. Yeah, I think that I think Norwich are showing what can be done when they get promoted to the Premier League, but also how to get promoted to the Premier League, playing football mm. in a certain way. A lot of good, exciting young players as well. A lot of right? a lot of good, exciting young players, and playing football in a way that is exciting and people can get behind. It's not just passing the ball around for the sake of passing the ball around. You've got to have a little bit more to it. And Norwich have shown that, and they've got promoted, and they deserve their promotion. And they have got into the Premier League, and they are continuing to play that way. They will need to be a little bit more wiser and a bit more cannier, if you like. But they will, they will learn that, and you can only learn that in the top division. I, I support Fulham. Fulham got promoted, what was it, a couple of years ago, went up to the Premier League, through a load, a lot of money uh, at the situation, and it failed miserably. And they tried to do what they did in the championship, and it didn't really translate. Norwich have shown that with a bit more of a wiser approach and a bit more of a holistic approach, with good management and good young players, what can be achieved? And to be honest with you, I, w I would very much have thought that there'll be people who have seen Norwich this season and will think there's a side who can stay up and not only stay up, perhaps even go on to do what Bournemouth have done in, in the Premier League. You know, you look at Bournemouth, don't have, um, uh, you know, huge names in there. I mean, they've obviously got a few. Callum Wilson plays for England now, for crying out loud. But they've, they've, they've gone up and, and they've established themselves as a Premier League side. And Norwich, at the moment, they have a, a real 
chance of establishing themselves in, in the Premier League for at least the next few seasons. There's certainly a feeling, you know, in, in years before that they've gone up and they've been a bit tentative, a bit nervous, and they've completely changed the way they've played to adapt to the Premier League. But this time, it, it really seems like they're going at it in an aggressive way. Yeah, they've also had a difficult start. I mean, you know, so they've only won one game. I mean, they, they beat Newcastle, of course. They, they found it difficult away at West Ham. I mean, there are plenty of teams who will find that this season. Uh, Chelsea, they ran close, and Anfield they went to. So, they, they, I mean, I think they've got Man City next, haven't they? So, at the time of recording, anyway. So, it's, it's a bit of a baptism of fire for them. But if they can get through these games with their confidence intact and still uh, focus on what they want to achieve, then I don't see why, as Marcus says, they can't um, they can't push on. And, I, and I, to be honest, I hope they do as well. I like the football they play. Well, they, they went to Anfield the first time out against the European champions for crying out loud. And some people thought, why are they trying to go toe to toe with with Liverpool? Um, but actually, I think, I, I don't know what the sort of psychology of that was for maybe Maybe he's saying, right, we actually are going to come up and not just defend. Mm-hmm. I think if, if maybe if they'd have played away to Anfield three months into the season, they might have taken a different approach. But maybe he's thinking, um, let, let, let's, let's go on the front foot here, because that will keep them in good stead for home games against Newcastle and the like. So they don't have to change it up too much, but of course they will do in a way trips to Anfield. But then so do people like Manchester City. Just uh, very quickly before you go, um, so why do you think people should come and see the Football Ramble live uh, on Halloween night as well? Well, because it's, it's going to be a fantastic night out. Um, if you like being made to laugh and entertained and, and whether you love football or just like have a passing interest in it, there's something there for you. Uh, it's, a, it's going to be a great night out. Um, it's, a, it's a Thursday night, which I'm led to believe is the new Saturday night. <laughs> um, what else are you going to do on a Thursday night than come and see us? We'll make idiots of ourselves. It'll be lots of fun. It'll be very entertaining. Uh, there's loads of stuff to get stuck into, games and videos and interaction and all the rest of it. Um, and it's, it's just going to be a lot of fun. If you like Halloween, then presumably you like shocks and you like to see a bit of gory stuff <laughs> and all that business. You won't be shy of any of that at the yeah. Football Ramble Live, let me tell you. So go to ramblelive.com uh, to, to pick up tickets now. The Football Ramble comes to Norwich Theatre Royal on Thursday, the 31st of October. The next Creative Matters season in October will shine the spotlight on the issues surrounding those finding refuge and sanctuary. The season complements activities in the wider community, which have been part of the ongoing Norwich City of Sanctuary project. It aims to build a culture of hospitality towards those who have lost their homes or fled persecution and now seek safety here. One of the events, This Is Who I Am, features guest performers who are members of the Actors for Human Rights Network. They will read out present-day verbatim accounts of LGBT plus refugees and the struggles faced both in their own countries and upon arrival in the UK. We spoke to the show's director, Seb Aguirre, about these stories and what the company hopes audiences will learn by hearing these interwoven testimonies. Could you tell us a little bit about the company and how it came about? Sure, so Eisenfly has been running for, uh, well, since 2006 um, and is a human rights-focused theatre company. So uh, everything that we do is based on um, different human rights topics, but also we base all the pieces of work that we do, whether it's theatre, whether it's outreach work, on real-life stories. So everything we produce is based on real-life events. Um, and it centers kind of real people. Um, and then this thing that we're doing, This Is Who I Am, is part of our Active Human Rights Project, which is about taking um, 
verbatim testimony, so real life testimonies from people that have experienced different human rights uh, abuses or issues, been affected by different human rights issues into non-theatre and theatre spaces. So we go across the country, um, everywhere, into all sorts of spaces. So we go into theatres, but we've done it in sort of student um, university spaces, we've done it in community centres, church halls, we've done it in, I've done it in a basement, I've done it in a caravan. Um, and the idea is that we take three testimonies of somebody that we, of people that we've interviewed about their experiences, in this case, um, LGBTQI plus people's experiences of going through the UK asylum process. Right. Um, and using actors, uh, we share those with audiences that perhaps don't really know or aren't affected by the issues that the, um, the themes bring up. Um, and yeah, that, the, main, the main point of that is just to make people aware and educate people and give people a really human understanding of something that's very much dehumanised in the press. We use terms like, you know, illegal immigrants and asylum seekers, refugees, you know, we, we dehumanise so much of uh, the coverage of issues around migration, forced migration, uh, is dehumanised in the, in the UK mm. press. Um, so the idea is to centre it back to human beings, real people, you know, and get a sense of who they are, not just as a kind of, you know, as a victim of this process that is, is quite damaging and, and violates a lot of international human rights, um, but also get a sense of who they are as a human being, so, you know, so that you remember them as people rather than as case studies. Mm. Could you give us perhaps a little bit more detail about one of the testimonies that audiences will be hearing? Sure. Um, well, to be honest, we've got a good body of them, and I tend to decide once sort of a bit closer to the date. But we've got, uh, you know, so swathe of testimonies with this script. Um, we've got testimonies from all over Africa, from the Middle East, um, and from uh, and from Central Asia, Central yeah, Central Asia. Um, and yeah, we try and to present a broad spectrum of experiences. So we'll create a balance of um, diaspora, so different, you know, a variety of different countries, the perspectives of different genders, ages. Um, but yeah, one of them was quite a high profile case. One of the first testimonies that we took was from um, somebody from Uganda, Megan uh, Mankabira, who um, was a sports star. So Megan was uh, competing in Commonwealth Games, she she played badminton and she was I think fourth seed in the whole of Africa. She was gearing up for the Olympic Games in Rio when she was outed in Uganda, right. uh, and because she'd been travelling, she was able to come to the UK. She'd already been to the UK with a visa um, for her to compete, so that led to her being able to come to the UK, um, and yeah, and ended up actually being homeless for six months. I think one of the things that people aren't aware of is that, you know, when people arrive here fleeing for their lives, they don't know what the paperwork is. They don't know what the rules are. And that's not their main focus. Their main focus is to reach somewhere safe. Um, nobody kind of goes, okay, then I know I need to provide evidence of my sexuality. I know I need to go to the home office and tell them that I'm seeking refuge. You know, especially if you're coming from a country that, um, criminalizes your sexuality, you're not going to go into a government space and tell them that you're gay. Mm. 
right? Yes. Um, so <laughs> you'd, have, you'd have kept that um, sort of below the line, wouldn't you? You'd have been it, hiding absolutely, it. So, absolutely. Yes. You know, and the same goes for people that experience, you know, political oppression, political persecution. You know, the idea of going to spaces that are official government spaces and telling them, you know, and being honest about who you are and why, why you're, why you're seeking sanctuary, is really terrifying, especially if you face, you know, torture or violence. Um, so yeah, so that's one of the things that came up for Megan. She was, I think, she was homeless for about six months before she heard the term um, seeking asylum, or you know, found out that she had a, a, a right to claim that asylum. Um, and then began the lengthy process of, of, of claiming asylum on the grounds of sexuality under what we now know is called the hostile environment. Um, yeah, so that's one of the testimonies that we've done. And what's been great about that testimony is that Megan's able to actually um, join us because there's nothing too traumatic that's shared. So one of the reasons that we use actors for the testimonies is because often they share experiences uh, that are quite traumatic, whether it's sort of um, state violence, so like torture or, you know, community violence, you know, often um, as particularly women experience corrective rape. Um, and so asking somebody to recount that experience is, is not right, you know. So we use actors to safely share their story in a way that helps people understand and gives people an opportunity to feel compassion and empathise without victimising the individual or without platforming that individual and, and making them vulnerable or be traumatising them. But, but Megan is actually one of the performers, is she? So Megan, yeah, she doesn't always do the reading just because, you know, since, uh, since we started the project, she's fantastically been granted asylum, she's working, she, you know, her family, she has, well, her partner has two children now. So it's, it's tricky, but um, she often performs with us because her testimony is completely safe. There's no trauma, you know, there's no violence. Um, and it covers a lot of the issues around the hostile environment. So it's great to sort of put someone on stage with lived experience who can safely share their experience alongside actors sharing experiences that, that perhaps um, that individual might not be able to share themselves. Uh, and after the show, there will be a Q&A so that audience members can ask their own questions. Yeah, the idea is to consolidate some of the information that they've heard uh, in the experiences that they've just listened to. Um, but we try and engage with local organisations. So I think for, for this reading, we've got somebody from New Roots, which is a refugee support group. Um, we've got one of the organisers of Norwich Pride, um, somebody from the Norwich City of Sanctuary uh, as well. And the idea is that they can also kind of respond to what they've heard in those personal experiences and talk about the work that's happening locally. And that should also give people in the audience uh, a chance to connect with organisations that might be working on stuff that they might want to volunteer for or fundraise for or join in their campaigns, you know, however they want to get involved, basically. Because mm. there's work obviously going on in every city, isn't there? And, and I would imagine the vast majority of people are completely unaware of it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's been a fantastic thing. I mean, this project's been running, I've been running, well, the project's been running for a long time, but this script in particular uh, has only been running for the last two years. And I think the intersect of you know, experiences of uh, LGBTQI plus refugee people has been really interesting in terms of engaging um, LGBTQI plus people on asylum issues and people that are working on refugee issues 
with the experience of LGBTQI plus people. So it's been a really interesting coming together and sort of, you know, going to places like Bolton and Wakefield um, in particular and just finding out how much there is actually going on and how much enthusiasm and engagement there is from, you know, from local community. It's been really inspiring. Mm. So what do you hope audiences will uh, take from the show? I think uh, unpacking kind of, you know, how difficult it is not just to reach safety, to reach sanctuary, um, but also what happens once you get here or once you get to somewhere safe, you have to go through what is an incredibly difficult process. And I think we understand terms like the hostile environment quite loosely. We understand, you know, the term asylum seeker quite loosely, but we don't really understand the ins and outs. So I think it will give people a really good understanding of um, what people go through, not only before they get to the UK, but also once they get here. This is Who I Am by Ice and Fire takes place in stage two on Thursday the 17th of October. For more information about creative matters, finding refuge in sanctuary, visit ntr.org.uk slash creative matters. That's creative with a capital C and matters with a capital M. That's the end of our show this month. Thanks to Jodie Prenger, Marcus Speller, Luke Moore, and Seba Gire. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Acast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Let us know what you liked and what you want to hear in future episodes. Thank you so much for listening to Interval, the Norwich Theatre Royal podcast. <laughs>